coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 30th of April, 2023, being full. Some years ago, we had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land with a tour group. And uh, that was kind of cool because we got to see a, a lot of these places that are mentioned in Scripture that uh, now I have a visual reference to some of those same places and what they look like. And uh, imagine some of the buildings because obviously some of them are in ruins. But suppose you were listening to a tour guide and uh, they said, uh, as we come to this, this square here in the center of town, uh, I just want to point out a couple things. First of all, you see there's a fountain there and it, it gives the background about the fountain and all. And then he says, and I'll let you know across the street, there's a really nice bakery. So as you're walking around in town, you get some hungry, there's a bakery there. And then uh, a couple doors down is, is uh, where we have our city hall and you can visit in there and and you go, oh, okay, okay. And if you're like most tourists, some of them are already working on their cameras and getting ready to go and uh, not paying a whole lot of attention. But suppose the situation was different. Suppose it was during a time of war and you weren't in someplace like Israel, but maybe in a town in France occupied by the Germans. And the person that's talking to you is not a tour guide, mm -hmm. but your sergeant and he's saying, just want you to know we, our intel tells us that we have a person who can give us information that we need. And he's the baker at that bakery shop right over there. And I say, I realize that it's going to be hard getting from this side of the plaza to the other side. And if you have to cut across the fountain, really makes for a good place where if you get down low, you can scoot around it and you won't be as seen as in other places. Watch out though, two houses over is where the city hall is and the Nazis have taken over that and so there could be people coming and going so you're going to have to be really aware of that. The setting is the same but there's a lot of difference about how you would take that information. Apostle Paul does something similar to us as he talks about the landscape of the church. And so I want us to turn to Colossians chapter two and verses eight through 10 here, we'll look at this morning. And then Lord willing, we will come back and look at the rest of the section that Tom read for us at a later date. Paul has been talking to the church at Corinth and he's giving warning to them because 
they are faced with some false teaching and false teachers who are uh, de detrimental to the health of the church. And so he begins this section, um, and it looks sort of innocuous in our English translation. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the, the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And Paul begins this segment just like a sergeant speaking to those under his command with a command to be alert. He says, see to it, and literally is watch out or be on guard. Have your senses heightened, if you will, to keep an eye out because the enemy is around and about and it can be detrimental to your spiritual uh, well-being. He says, watch out that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And so he says, the danger that you face is that you would be carried off, and that's what it means to be captive here. And it's a term that was used in a military sense by saying an enemy would come in and take you and then you would become their captives and they would take you where they want to take you. And so he says, I want to warn you that you're dealing with some things going on in the church. And he says it to you, it may look like oh, I'm just meeting with people and things are going good. He says, but there is some philosophies, there's some teachings, there's some things going on here that will literally take you captive and haul you away from the faith. The picture is one that is seen in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about being in a spiritual battle. And he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And our first principle that we want to draw from this passage is followers of Christ are constantly to be on lookout that they do not become the spoils of spiritual warfare. They don't become the spoils of spiritual warfare. It's intriguing that what looks like on the surface is just ordinary People getting together and talking and sharing. And he says, I want you to be aware that much more is involved here. Your spiritual vitality is at stake. And you may be carried off 
by these false teachings to a place that is contrary to the place where you began, which was in Christ. And so then he goes on here, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. And then he says, these are the tools that the enemy uses are false teachings that promise what they cannot deliver. They promise something that they cannot deliver. Apostle Paul is up against a couple things that were going on in the early church. And he saw it in several places, not just in Colossae, but in several places. One was the whole I teaching of Gnosticism. We touched about that. Gnosticism means we're in the know. We know. We have the word agnostic, which is basically has an alpha primitive in front of it. Change that word knowing to not knowing. And that's where we get the term agnostic. Somebody who doesn't know if there really is a God. But their problem was dealing with Gnostics who say, we know better. We know better. There are, there are things that you're missing out on. Things that Apostle Paul would never have taught. The things that are being taught in your church that uh, are just really inadequate. Let me give you the inside track on some good stuff. And he says, these false teachers will come in and they promise stuff that they can't deliver on. The tools that the enemy uses in this spiritual warfare are false teachings that promise what they cannot deliver. He uses two, two uh, descriptive, uh, well, one's a, a word and the other's a, sort of a phrase. He says, first of all, I don't want you to be taken captive by philosophy. And the second one is empty deceit. Now, philosophy for us uh, in our in our day and time, it talks. It's literally the word philosophy means love of wisdom, and we use it in our culture to describe uh, studies of general and fundamental questions such as existence, reason, uh, what's the understanding about knowledge, values, those kind of things, and he's not talking about like a study of philosophy, except how it contradicts the teaching of God's word. So this isn't a blatant whitewash of everything that has to do with philosophical things, because sometimes it's helpful to understand uh, certain principles and how they work, but it, calls, it falls under the administration of the word of God, the word of God sets the parameters in which they operate. One person was writing about philosophy and he says, the danger of philosophical conversations is that they often um, are, are shared by those that have some ignorant, not ignorance, the appearance of serious Superiority, in other words, I know something and I'm going to teach you. And if there's any contradiction to what is being shared, 
and it proves to be true and it contradicts what is being taught, they'll run to some other thing and say, well, maybe we will we'll clarify that and we'll, we'll fix it. What was going on in the time of Apostle Paul, he's going to describe here in a moment. But it was the thinking of man as it came to understanding spiritual things. How do you explain where we came from and, and how our lives should be ordered? And scripture talks about bringing those under the authority of God's word. He uses not only the word philosophy, but he says, empty deceit. And here we start to get to the heartbeat of this. Because he's not just, he's not just talking about some teaching that's gone on. This is teaching that's going on with a deliberate purpose of deception. In other words, I'm going to say something and I'm going to say it so it sounds good, but it is genuinely false. And those false teachings then are going to mess you up. And Apostle Paul warns of that. It's the idea of promising something that um, just doesn't bear out in reality. Years ago, I, I ordered some... Uh, cleaner through the mail and it was like a quart size container and uh, when it arrived I opened it up and it was well packaged so it wouldn't be damaged and I pulled it out and I go man this didn't feel very heavy and so I unscrewed the lid on the top and I noticed the first thing is it wasn't on real tight then as I got to examining the, the cleaning agent that was in it, uh, the liquid that was in it, was supposed to be odorless. And so it didn't have a great smell in the box, but it was pretty obvious that something had stained all the packing paper around it. And so what they had sent me was a bottle of cleaning fluid that by the time it got to me, it was a nice cleaning bottle with no fluid. Apostle Paul is talking about these promises that are made here in their false teaching is like that in the sense that it looks good, but if you went to examine it, you would see that there is no value in it. And Apostle Paul says, I want you to be aware I want you to be awake. I want you to be considering those things that are being shared with you because the bottom line is there is no value in them. And yet the whole premise was by the false teachers, these are of great value to you. Apostle Paul says, no, that's not the case. And so we come to our third principle. Followers are warned about false teaching that they will take two forms. One, 
being reproached for being too lax in religious performance. Here's what he says. He says, according to human tradition. He says, one of, one of the ways that they will try and deceive you is that you just aren't spiritual enough. And what we see here is the influence of the Judaizers. They're coming in and they go, oh, wait a minute. Your, your, religious, your religious practices are sort of getting slackers. You're becoming slackers in spiritual uh, practice here. By the way, that was the same argument that was used of Jesus' disciples. Remember, they were hungry and they were coming to the synagogue and then from the synagogue they were hungry and so it was uh, there was grain in the field and and the disciples then started picking some of the heads of of grain and you go theft theft no that wasn't the case um, because according to the law the fields were available around the edges for those that were hungry and had need. And so here they are eating of these grains, getting a little bit of grain, rubbing it between their hands, getting the husk off the grain, and then eating those, those bits of grain. And the religious leaders go, horrors! You're harvesting and, and, and consuming all this stuff. You're preparing all this stuff. And you're consuming it. And don't you know it's the Sabbath? And do you remember what Christ's rebuke was? He said, uh, do you remember the time of David when he was with his men? And he came and he took from the showbread that was to go into the temple, into the tabernacle. And he took that and he fed his men. He says, which is worse? You know, really getting a few grains from the edges of the field where you're allowed to have them or coming and eating the showbread that was supposed to be set aside for worship and in, only into the holy place with a place where this bread would go or would go only to the priest after that it's been uh, used in the, teba, in the tabernacle. And he says, don't you, don't you remember reading that? And he says, it's not about the Sabbath. It's about man. It's about man. But they were so caught up with the commandments. And you can see it. I mean, it played out in the life of Peter. Remember, Peter is on the house rooftop and the Lord lets down this this uh, picnic lunch for him and it was full of unclean animals and the Lord says, okay, have your have a meal. And Peter goes, oh, no. He says, this is unclean stuff. I've never had this stuff in all my life and I'm not going to start it now. And you go, well, wait a minute, who supplied this to you? Well, that was the Lord, wasn't it? And if he says it's clean, is it clean or not? And here you have the biggest issue. 
And that is the teachings of man as opposed to the word of God. The Lord says, here, take and eat. And Peter's going, I'm sorry, Lord. I am more holy than you because I'm not going to eat this unclean stuff. And so the religious teachers who are giving empty um, instruction here, one of their things was they were reproaching others for being too lax in their religious performance. If you would just get your act together and start doing things that are more spiritual, then you would be more righteous. Apostle Paul goes, no, these traditions of men are just that. Has anybody ever read through the Constitution and uh, the Bill of Rights? Yeah, you ever done that? Maybe not last week, right? But maybe sometime. How long did it take to read through that? Six or seven days? No. How long? If you read slow, maybe an hour. You'd probably get by with a half hour. It's not very long, right? We've gone a couple hundred years now since that was written. What do you think about reading through all the statutes that have been written in the meantime? I liked it when one time they were covering on the news and they had brought in a budget to be voted on. And the guy brought it in in a hand truck and the thing stood about this tall. Oh, pages and pages and pages about this tall. And the question was, has anybody read that? Well, somebody must have because they wrote it, but probably not all the legislators who were voting on it. But that's the way that man goes. We take something that is simple and we start building on it and building on it and pretty soon it has the weight of the original, but it's not that. Apostle Paul was getting after those Judaizers who were coming among them and saying, you know, you, you really need to eat kosher when you get together for your lovedies. And you really need, and on and on it went. Apostle Paul got after Peter for that very thing. He was in Antioch, fellowshipping with the Christians who were mostly Gentiles, and enjoying um, summer barbecue, and they were, you know, spare ribs and things like that. And some Judaizers came up from Jerusalem. And Peter goes, uh-oh. And he sort of put that away and he sort of separated himself from the Gentiles and said, uh, you know, I can't eat pork. <laughs> Although he, you know, wiping the barbecue sauce off. 
And Paul came down on him. He goes, you can't even, you couldn't keep the law when you had the law to keep and you're now under grace. And what are you doing? Going back and promoting the law. Because the Judaizers wanted to foster a sense of legalism and put that back in and establish it. Paul talked about his own experience in Galatians chapter 1. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond all my, many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I. And he doesn't say, for the things of God. You know what he said? So zealous for the traditions of my father. And that's the word that's used in our text. He says, when it came to a true relationship with God or keeping all these ordinances, he says, it was easier for me to keep the ordinances. Well, it really wasn't, but that's what he was used to. And then he uses another phrase. He says, according to the, entom the elemental spirits of the world. And I can tell you, if you went and started looking, I tried to do a study on the elemental spirits of the world, you would get lots of different opinion to what it is. But I think Paul already told us. What are these elemental spirits? I believe there were false teachers. These would be more the Gnostics as opposed to the Judaizers. The Gnostics who were saying, hey, there's much more out there spiritually and uh, let's look into the, some of these other teachings. As someone said, hawking basic worldly ideas about religion and trying to pass them off as truth. So followers are warned about false teachers will take two forms. One, being reproached for being too lax in spiritual or religious performance. And the second was, being encouraged to be inclusive about religious matters. In other words, oh, we can't we can't keep somebody out for that teaching. That, that you know, we we, we want uh, everyone to be okay. So, what are these elemental spirits? Well, if you if you look in your text and look in Colossians chapter two and go down a little bit further. Paul tells us what this is. In verse 20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, ah, okay, you died to these. You're not going to see these anymore. What was it? Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Referring to those things that perish as they are used. But then he skipped down to verse 23. That was the Judaizers. 
Here's the other one. You've indeed, uh, having indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, asceticism, and severity to the body, as they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, why would a person get involved in spirituality? He says, well, because I want a better life. Which means I've got to take care of some of these problems that I have because of my sin nature. And somebody says, huh, we've got solutions here. We've got all sorts of things. And so he gives, he gives some, uh, some three things here. One is self-made religion. In other words... If I don't, if I feel restricted by anything, I'll just make up a religion fits me. I don't know if you've ever talked with somebody like that. And you go, so what's your criteria? How, how do you know that this is true faith? This is how you ought to live. Well, it works for me. Well, that doesn't work for me. Does that make it invalid? No, you do your thing. This works for me. And that's what Apostle Paul is talking about here. Self-made religion. By his own volition, he worships what seems best to him. Worship what seems best. Then he says, how about asceticism? The idea of severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. In other words, we're going to do these things to show that we are really spiritual because we're going to deny ourselves I remember growing up, and we would get uh, National Geographics, my folks, <coughs> subscribe to them. You go back in there, and, and you would look at, at stories where some person from National Geographic and a photographer went into some, some tribe, and here they are attaching hooks to the backs and then pulling cross behind them. And you go, well, the cross part is okay, I suppose. It's good to point to Jesus Christ. But what is this? Well, it says, the afflictions of Christ on me. God never said anything about hooking hooks into your back to, to pull a heavy cross down the road just so that you'd be admired and somehow spiritually attain some higher level. He says, no, this whole idea is contrary to the teachings of Christ. And the third one was along the same lines, severity to the body, unsparing treatment as a way of beating yourself up. And I'll tell you that I think there's more people who beat themselves up mentally than they are ever beating themselves up physically, saying, I'm just not any good. You know, sometimes 
I think I'm okay, but other times I'm not. And they just beat themselves up and beat themselves up. And so we come to our point that comes from this, because he says, these human traditions, the elemental spirits of the world, and he says, and not according to Christ. They will do one of those two things as opposed to following Christ. And here you can see the spiritual battle that goes on. He says, all false teachings then will move a believer from the centrality of Christ. All these things, whether it's coming up with my own faith or afflicting my body for the purpose of showing how spiritual I am or keeping all these rules and regulations, all these things, what they do is take our attention off Christ. And it's interesting. He says they do this or that according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And here we see the thrust of Paul's ministry. He says the centrality of our message has a necessity to focus on Christ. Anything that takes away from that is detrimental to your spiritual health. Not, it doesn't enhance it at all. And I thought it was interesting that it doesn't see Jesus and it doesn't say Lord, it says Christ. He's the one that's been set aside. He's the anointed one. He's the one that God picked. <coughs> Man picks all these other things, but God picks this one, Jesus Christ. And then in the next two verses, it says in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And those statements go smack dab at, at these who are uh, Gnostics. Because he, he throws in on these little twists of the knife. One is... In him, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. And one of their arguments was, you really can't reach high spiritual attainment unless you leave the body behind and you just are so spiritually enlightened. And he says, no, whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And he says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And we're back to Ephesians 6 again. But it's, I thought it was interesting because what he's talking about here is as he, as he spells this out, did you notice the words that he used in this passage? He says, in this passage, he talks about let no one take you captive by philosophy and what? What's that next word? 
empty deceit. In other words, these things have a promise, but they're empty. And how has he come back to describe our relationship with Jesus Christ? He uses the word full and fullness several times in these two verses to describe what we have in Christ. He says, in Christ is all that there is to be had when it comes to spirituality. And that Christ who is full up to the brim and overflowing, he says, and he also is in you and he gives you of that same fullness. And so the argument was, well, these false teachers have something to offer and Apostle Paul comes along and goes, no, they don't. They're empty promises. You open them up and nothing there to be found. He says, and what are you leaving in order to get there? He says, the one that God has invested all of his deity in, all of his, his hope for the world, all the fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. And they had to, they had to chafe at that one. <laughs> really? Just think about the ministry of Christ when he was here on earth. I think one of the toughest things that the people had to deal with is when they rub shoulders with Jesus Christ and they go, and this is God. This is God. And it was. But they had a hard time with that. We're separated by quite a period of time. It's easier to believe in the Jesus of the Bible and the Gospels, looking back because we say, well, his historical. But for them who watched him when he went to bed tired at night, when he got up in the morning and he shared breakfast with them, and then he went about and he he taught and he says, look at me, I and the Father are one. And they go, what? And Apostle Paul, speaking to the church there, in Colossae says, you better get a handle on this. You better watch out. Because there's going to be some who are going to come in and say, Jesus isn't who he says he is. But in him dwells all the deity of God in body. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And there's another slap towards those Gnostics who said, oh, Jesus is just some level on the spiritual ladder of attainment. And of course, he's held down back here because you guys keep making an emphasis about being in the body, and of course, we know that that can't be as great as full spiritual enlightenment. Apostle Paul comes along and goes, uh-uh. This one that you want to neglect, he is absolutely full. And you know what? And he is also head of all rule and authority. So whatever your ladder is, when you get to the top, 
you're going to find Jesus. So if we were talking in terms of the army, maybe you think in terms of a private who listens to a corporal, who listens to a sergeant, who listens to a lieutenant and maybe follows the captain's orders, who listens to the major and the colonel, and then the general, one star, two star, three star, four star, five star. And you go, we've gotten to the top. And the president stands up and says, no, I'm the commander in chief. <laughs> so drawing from that analogy says it doesn't matter where you think Jesus Christ is. He is the head. He's the commander in chief of all rule and authority. So we come to our final principle. Ruler, a follower of Christ is less susceptible to empty promises when they are filled by Christ. When Christ is ruling and reigning in the heart and the believer has turned his full attention to Jesus Christ, he says he's less susceptible to all of this false teaching that's going on. How about you? Are you filled with the character and the nature of Jesus Christ? Don't get sidetracked into rules and regulations and false teachings and all those kind of things that are going to take you away from Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae all these many years ago. Because we now see in the writings of Paul a way that we can discern when someone starts sharing something with us, whether it's true or false. And the focus needs to be on Christ. So Heavenly Father, let's keep our eyes on him. We ask in Jesus' name.